As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to a Halloween edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I am Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman. And Bruce, for all the hype leading into that Michigan-Michigan State game, isn't it great when a game like that lives up to, if not exceeds, the hype? Michigan State 37, Michigan 33. Spartans come back from a 30-14 to 14 deficit and move to 8-0. Your thoughts on that, I will call it an instant classic. Yeah, tremendous game. It was one of those games where I don't know about you, but I'm on I'm in the studio on the fifth floor and I'm like the pregame atmosphere was 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 uh I don't know, it just felt like Big Ten football, right? You know, the weather was wasn't like it wasn't like a hot day. It was um you just had two really physical teams. I feel like you had two teams that definitely want to run the football, and then at the end of the day, uh, you know what? Credit to Mel Tucker. The thing that jumps out at me about him and his teams, and I saw this at CU being around them in that one year he was there, was the resolve that they have. Like, I I feel like when they are down, you just, you know, that's the team where it feels like they are really hard to put away. And they keep battling and they keep battling. And they were down 30-22. And you could just kind of feel like, man, the way this is shaping up, this is this is a, this is the kind of game that that he is going to win. And look, you know, you and I talked about this a little bit offline. This has not been so far like a wow season for Heisman guys. Kenneth Walker III, the transfer from Wake Forest, who was kind of a non-entity as a recruit. To me, right now, he's the top of the Heisman board because he was spectacular yesterday. Five rushing touchdowns, almost 200 yards on the ground. Pretty amazing show he has put on. Well, I'm glad people are finally catching up. I've had him number one on my Heisman straw poll ballot for weeks. Uh, But obviously, this was his showcase game. I know people have referred to it as a Heisman moment. Five touchdowns, two, including two long touchdowns in the fourth quarter as they um, took the lead. The thing is, Michigan dominated the first half and probably should have had a bigger lead than they did. Uh, But even at 30-14... to It just felt like, okay, it's Michigan's day. Um, 
And what's interesting is normally for a team to come back from that kind of deficit, what, nine times out of ten in a game like that, if they mount a furious rally, it's because the quarterback throws for 400 yards. This was the Kenneth Walker. In fact, I was actually at times wondering why they weren't giving him the ball more because they, they, the Michigan's pass, ru- pass rush is tremendous, and they couldn't protect Peyton Thorne. Um, but Kenneth Walker, you give him the ball enough times, he's going to break one, or five uh, in this case. I also give a lot of credit to Jay Johnson, Michigan State's offensive coordinator, a very aggressive play caller. The play of the game, to me, it didn't necessarily determine the outcome. It was when they went for it on fourth and one, and when they, when, when they didn't hand the ball to Walker on fourth and one, I kind of cringed, like, oh my gosh, you guys are getting too cute. Uh, 50-yard pass play on fourth and one. Uh, that, to me, would kind of define like the whole mentality that Mel Tucker's team has. I don't think Michigan played poorly at all. Uh, that fumble, though, when they brought in J.J. McCarthy and, he, and they fumbled the mesh play, you know, obviously set it up for, for Michigan State to take the lead. Yeah, I think there was – you mentioned – Early on, where it felt like they were dominating the game, there was a play. It's like a third and six or third and seven. There's a pass to Blake Corum, and he drops it. If he catches it, it's probably a touchdown. And I don't know if that's a backbreaker at that point, but it's just like, as you said, with a team that is, and they do have good receivers, but as you mentioned, uh, Aiden Hutchinson's a dominant edge rusher, and David Ajabo on the other side was making big plays. You had the, the one critical where it's the sack fumble touchdown that ends up getting overturned. You could feel like kind of the, a little bit of the momentum of Michigan maybe kind of that was a, that felt like a gut punch. And I feel like, and maybe this is reading too much into it, but there was enough of those situations where between the quorum drop, not as much, but then there was a couple other plays where as well as Cade McNamara played, there were some throws that were just a little off you know, where there's wide open receiver here or wide open receiver there. And they did not take advantage of enough of the opportunities, whereas Michigan State did. And like you said, I agree. I think it was like an instant classic game. It's the situation where I actually watched that and felt stronger about both teams than I did going in. Um, you know, I we knew Kenneth Walker was, was a pretty special running back, but I think that was a great stage for him. I thought this was a great, Honestly, I thought this was a great day for the Big Ten. At least, maybe not for Nebraska Big Ten, but I mean, like, in terms of, you know, what you had from these two schools who, they haven't been, like, it's not like Michigan State's been awful for a long time. I mean, Mark D'Antonio had a great run, but just in terms of what they have done there now, um, I don't know. I mean, where, wherever they come in in the top ten and as we get the new rankings Tuesday night, I don't, I wouldn't, you know, go overboard on that because obviously they both have Ohio State left. And it wasn't like Ohio State looked dominant against Penn State. I think I think a lot of us thought, given the way that Penn State had kind of had the week going with James Franklin, thought that, man, they're going to get embarrassed at Ohio State, and that actually didn't happen. But to me, you had really two very compelling games, especially the one in East Lansing. The interesting thing about the rankings is, I mean, these teams were both 7-0, and and going into the game, they were both ranked below one loss Ohio State in the AP poll, which told you that some of that is just kind of default respect for Ohio State, but also that the voters weren't quite sold on Michigan and Michigan State yet. The competition, frankly, wasn't that great. Um, As I wrote about in Final Thoughts, 
this will be a very fascinating first committee rankings because I Georgia will be number one, and I have no idea what the order will be after that. But but there are what some your things, order base. There are some things that really like I I don't know why you would have Michigan State below Ohio State at this point. They're undefeated. They just beat a top ten team. What the, it'll resolve itself when they play each other, um, and maybe people still believe Ohio State's the better team. But I think that some people are ranking Ohio State on like the Ohio State of the future. It would not surprise me if a month from now Ohio State is undefeated and the number two team in the country. But right now, have they really earned the right to be ranked above not just Michigan State, but the Cincinnati No, Bearcats? I don't think they have because you, you could argue their best win is either last night against a now three-loss Penn State team or in week one at Minnesota – who is the same Minnesota that lost to Bowling Green? So it's. I don't know if they are the same well, Minnesota. I mean, they're now. Yeah, six but and it's, two. I'm, I'm, my point is, it happened this year. It's like that. What yeah. are we selling them on? Is whereas while we're talking rankings, would you have Ohio State ahead of Oregon? No, I, I this. There was a moment a couple weeks ago when Oregon was was really struggling again. You know, remember. Not just losing to Stanford, but Cal. They had to stop Cal at the goal line. Uh, I think Cal was one and four at the time. And I was like, you know, as as weird as it would be to to disregard that result, it, it does seem like Ohio State's getting a lot better and Oregon's getting a lot worse. But Oregon, to me, has righted itself the last two weeks. And I actually did some resume uh, comparing last night for the column. There's just there's not enough. There's not a there's not a difference there that would merit ignoring the head-to-head result. Um, you know, Ohio State, like you said, Penn State was their first top 25 win of the season. Um, they've beaten four teams that are 500 or better. Oregon has a top 10 win at Ohio State and three wins over 500 or better. Um, I think they'd be overthinking it to have um, Ohio State ahead of Oregon. I would agree. Um Beyond that, uh, obviously the Big Ten we've talked about. What else? You know, I thought that first uh, block of games, you had a really good Texas Baylor game. Obviously, Texas is now four and four. They're not. They're they're kind of feel like what they have been the last few years under Tom Herman. I think Dave Aranda has done a terrific job there. I mean, they they you know we can talk about Kenneth Walker and he's phenomenal. Bijan Robinson is is such a special running back. He didn't even have a carry for more than nine yards against Baylor. Uh, I think I don't want to say they've been really flying under the radar, but I I do feel like there's a couple of teams like that where you don't look at them. It's it's a little like Wake Forest where their record is really good, and you still aren't going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Not you, but you know me as well. Like uh, like just college football in general, and they're just going to sit there, and you're going to go, yeah, but they're going to lose to somebody, and then they just keep winning. I, I think, I mean, there's a lot of parallels, frankly, between the, 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 the amazing turnaround Michigan State has made in uh, Mel Tucker's second season to what Baylor has done in, in Dave Aranda. I mean, they were terrible last year, and Dave Aranda himself would admit he made some bad hires on offense. He corrected that this year. He brought in Jeff Grimes for BYU, and they're a completely different team. And they do have quality wins is the thing. Like, this isn't a case of... Um, you know, seven and one against a bunch of nobodies. Uh, they beat Iowa State. Their one loss was to Oklahoma State, who's very highly ranked. And then they beat Texas, who, by the way, three straight games now 
Texas has coughed up a double-digit second-half lead. I don't know what exactly is going on there, um, but they're 4-4. Four four. Uh, I think, look, I, I'm very, um, I don't think Oklahoma has done a lot to give you faith that they can run the table. They're going to play Baylor down the, their neck. Somehow Oklahoma's already played nine games, three-fourths of their schedule. But the last three are Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State. And two of them are uh, two of them are on any the of those road. teams. Yeah, any of those teams could beat them. Though Iowa State did take one on the chin against uh, West Virginia yesterday, and frankly, has been a disappointment. Um, but I think Baylor Oklahoma could be a great game because Baylor is very explosive on offense. Oklahoma's defense, as we know, is not great. Um, and then Baylor has been very efficient on offense. I mean, uh, Baylor's been very. Uh, you know, it's not like a Dave Aranda LSU defense, but it's a pretty good defense. So that's uh, that could be one of the better games down the stretch. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second. But now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So, if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, post your job for free at linkedin.com audible. That's linkedin.com audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Can I just circle back real quick to Cincinnati? I'm a little frustrated by some of the narrative that's going on out there. Call people that. out, Steve. And it's Call almost people like, out. Who's pissed you off? Uh, Chris Fowler pissed me off a little bit last night. Um, I don't remember who was calling the Cincinnati game. Uh, certainly some some of our colleagues on Twitter. And but But to their, you know, in fairness, I think they're doing a little bit of projecting and just assuming that the committee is going to treat them the way they did UCF. Maybe I'm naive. I think Cincinnati, first of all, they won at Notre Dame. Remember, you know, we talked about it early in the season. 
the, how important it would be with those two games against Indiana and Cincinnati that one of them ended up I think like, turning we, around. I, I, and, it, and, in fairness, I think we talked about not one of them. They both needed. They needed Indiana. Not, Indiana's turned out to be way worse than I think anybody's worst fears. Yeah, Indiana. They're two bad. and six. I think we looked at it saying, "All right, they need they need Notre Dame to go on and be either at worst ten and two or eleven and one." But they also needed Indiana. It would help them if they were a top twenty five team. Indiana might be oh might yeah be the for worst sure. team in the Big Ten this year. But at this point in the season, I, you might. I mean, who who the best non-conference wins that anybody in the country has is the one everyone's trying to undervalue because it happened, and it happened without Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah, group group of five or not group of five, I would say the two best non-conference wins anybody had this year: Oregon at Ohio State and Cincinnati at Notre Dame. Notre Dame's now seven and one. Um, So you so previous group of five teams that were in the mix like this didn't have that. Uh, Houston did, but then Houston didn't take care of business in conference. Um, and then, but no, what's driving me crazy is this no, every week. It's like, if they don't win by 50, oh, I don't know. How's the committee going to react to that? You don't hear that about Oklahoma who was down 10, nothing to Kansas at the half last week and had to, had to fight back. I think you do. Uh, I think you do Cincinnati. hear that a little bit. You just don't hear it as like, I mean, believe me, I, I, not in the context of yeah. the committee. Like, yes, you hear, oh, I don't know if Oklahoma is that good. But there's no notion that, oh, how's the committee, is the committee going to, at the end of the day, if Oklahoma, certainly if Oklahoma goes undefeated, they're going to be in. But there's this notion that if Cincinnati doesn't beat every one of these AAC teams by 50, they're not going to, you know, they're going to get screwed over. And I just, they've done enough at this, that you know, you've seen enough of them to know they're pretty good and that you're not going to blow out every team you play. And even this Tulane game yesterday, yeah, it was twelve to ten in the third quarter, but you never thought they were going to lose. Can I? Uh, can I um, play devil's advocate for that? I think sure. uh, right now, I think Cincinnati should be one of the top four teams. But here's where I understand people's uh, people's kind of issue with this a, a little bit. If you look at their schedule right now, yes, the Notre Dame win on the road—that's a really, really good win. The next best win is a blowout win at home over a 5-3 and three UCF team. Then you start looking at the rest of the teams here. Indiana's 2-6. and six. Temple's 3-5. and five. Navy is 2-6. and six. Tulane is 1-7. One 1-7. One I seven. mean, that's not like you, could, like... you could see where the pushback is coming because it basically feels like this was a one-game schedule, right? Now, they're going to play SMU, which just just lost they're gonna play SMU in a couple of weeks SMU obviously lost to Houston yesterday to fall from the ranks of the unbeaten and then you know potentially they would get Houston if they're and Houston should be I mean I don't think SMU will still be ranked by the time they play them maybe they'll climb back at the top 25 but um, you know I, I think they need both of those teams SMU and Houston to try to be ranked so at least you know, even if the depth of your schedule isn't good, at least the top part of it, you'll have a couple of noteworthy wins. Yeah, I think it would be ideal for them. It probably would have been ideal for them to for SMU to go into that game undefeated and for it to be a true, just, you know, really, really big game. But Houston now, Houston only has one loss. They're now in first place in the conference, and maybe you're setting up for a conference championship game where you're playing a ranked team and maybe even a, uh, a decently ranked team. Would it surprise you at all? Let me throw this one out. For, so we've talked about in terms of teams that could be ranked number two, 
Michigan State, Oklahoma, Cincinnati, Ohio State, Oregon. Would it surprise you at all if the committee comes out Tuesday night and says Alabama's no, number wouldn't. two? No, it wouldn't because yeah. it's Nick Saban's Alabama team. Now, if you look at their best win, their best win now doesn't quite look as good because their best win was they thrashed Ole Miss. Ole Miss just got handled by Auburn, so I I don't know if it's like as strong. I think – I don't think Alabama – you know, it's helped them though. Miami is yeah. is at least four five hundred now, so they have the, the argument for Alabama is they actually have five wins over teams five hundred or better. That's more than any of the other teams, even with the loss at A and M, which A uh, and M six and two now. They lost on a last second field goal. I do think there's going to be. It's funny because we all, all we want to see new teams in the top four, but as soon as you get new teams like Michigan State. You, people go. Well, I just don't. I don't think they're better in Alabama. You know, I still think Alabama's better than that. If I, they were playing on a neutral field, and I don't. By the way, I don't necessarily disagree. If Alabama was playing Michigan State on a neutral field, Alabama would probably be a ten point favorite or so. Certainly, if they were playing Cincinnati, if they were playing Oklahoma. Um, but I know you in particular hate the who would be. Yeah, favored, I do because it because uh, it devalues what actually happened on the field. Like I, I, you know, I got in this discussion. I don't call it an argument with. Some of my Fox colleagues, uh, Acho and Chris Peterson, yesterday about the most deserving part versus um, versus you know who would win and who the who who would be favored, and it's like why play the game? You know, if you're if you're Oregon, why would you play that game against Ohio State at Ohio State if people say it doesn't matter? You know, you just. It's you know like again I don't I, this is a this is an argument we we could and will probably end up having not you and I but like just with Oregon until they lose another game you know it's not um, it's not their fault that the rest of the league much like it similar to Cincinnati but it's like when you actually played arguably as talented team as as there is in the country and beat them it wasn't fluky beat them at their place and you were without your best player who's arguably the best player in the country um to me and then your one loss happened when your offensive coordinator was in a hospital having to have emergency surgery i mean that's to me that's a you know that oregon oregon may get snubbed they shouldn't be if you know at the end of the day if they keep winning um to me I could see Cincinnati second. I could see because, like you said, they have a one great win, um, or at least one really good win, and they haven't been beaten yet. Uh, I could understand Michigan State after this past weekend, um, and Alabama. I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel aggrieved if any one of those three were sitting at number two. I think that Oregon's problem is going to wherever Oregon's ranked in this week's poll. You know, if it's top four, great. Their problem is the Pac-12 is so bad. There was yet another, uh, every week, you never know from one week to the next what's going to happen. Yesterday, Oregon State loses to Cal. Uh, Utah clobbers, Arizona, I mean, uh, UCLA. And, and in the strangest one of all, Washington State goes on the road and takes it to ASU. So, I mean, basically, Oregon's not going to get another chance at a top 25 win, I don't think. In fact, I was looking at this. You know who might actually turn out to be a top 25 win for them? Yeah. Fresno State, who beat, who beat San Diego State last night and is now first Now, place. I do think, so I, I just do not think they have... may have a chance for a top 25 win in late November because there's a, probably a very good chance that Utah could be 7-3, and three and they might sneak into the top 25 at that point. 
Well, and also they could play them in the conference championship. Well, if they play them in the conference championship game and it matters, they would have beaten them again. I just think they may have one shot at them where, you know, where they're sitting like that. By the way, a shout out to our colleague from the athletic, Doug Haller. Uh, If you want to know what really seems to be going on at Arizona State and why they got embarrassed at home by by, uh, Washington State, we've talked a bunch about the NCAA investigation into the recruiting scandal there. you know, it's surrounding Herm Edwards is really surrounding Antonio Pierce. Doug's column will get into, you know, into some of the details of a really, really fascinating situation that's happening that now seems to have carried over, not just around the program, but what what's happening on the field with them. So that's going to be the thing is that's that's Oregon's predicament down the stretch. You know, we can sit here and say right now they should obviously be ahead of Ohio State, but if Ohio State beats undefeated Michigan State in, I believe it's November 20th, if Michigan is 10-1 uh, and one or 9-2 and two going to that game at some point. And then, and then in the Big Ten, at some point, their resume is just so much better. Um, and that's going to be true of, of a lot of these teams. You know, Oklahoma's going to get chances at, at a couple of top 25 wins here uh, down the stretch. We haven't yet talked about the actual number one team, Georgia, um, smothered Florida the way they've smothered Everybody this season, there was an amazing stat flying around yesterday that um, they've they've outscored their first eight opponents by 250 points. That is the most for Georgia since 1910, when they were probably playing high school teams and and flight academies and whatnot. Um, I think it's hard to say much more about Georgia. Georgia, we they're they are who they are. They're very good. Obviously, this was not a great day for Dan Mullen and the Gators, who are now 4-4. Four and four. And for once, he didn't go into the press conference and make excuses. He, he flat out said, you know, where we are this season is not acceptable. Um, where do they go from here? That's a great question. So now, um, when you look at them, we've talked about this stat now that it's 2-7 and seven in their last nine games against Power 5 opponents. To me, even a, maybe even a more damning stat that covers longer spirit of time in the last three years they're two and seven against top 25 opponents florida is two and 20 i mean that's given the resources they have to be two and seven against we're not talking top 10 opponents we're talking top 25 and by the way those seven losses they do not include the two really bad losses against lsu with half a team each time they played them so look you know i've talked to some people around the sec a bunch of coaches in both the SEC East and SEC West. And the problems in that program are their recruiting issues, their schematic issues. And one of the things you hear a lot about is that just there's a lack of physicality um, and it's a lack of discipline in that program. I mean, Scott Strickland has, has said, and he told our colleague Andy Staples, I think that you know Dan Mullen, is go- is, he's going to back him. What happens if Florida Florida loses to FSU as bad as FSU is? It's not out of the realm they could lose that game. I mean, they shouldn't do any worse than eight and four with what they have left, but they shouldn't have lost to LSU the last couple of times. I mean, you lose to you lose to uh, to FSU. I don't know. I don't know if you're like you're already kind of losing the fan base. I think that um, it's just kind of crazy to see how much this program has spiraled. And remember. This is also a guy who has an NCAA show cause, you know, so it's like um, it's a head scratcher. If you're a Gator fan, I don't know how you how excited you are that you're going to 
you know, at the very least, he probably comes into 2022 on one of the hottest seats in the country. The Gators fans are getting pretty frustrated. I don't, I still don't think he's going to get fired a year after, you know, taking him to the SEC title game, beating Georgia. But at the end of the day, that Georgia win last year um, was not, has turned out to be the aberration. They just haven't beaten a lot of teams. Like By the way, Stu, you're talking about how it, thought, after last year, they were 8-4 and four last year. I know they were eight and four. I mean, it's it was, Florida. You know, they are not. They, you're not talking about Kentucky or it's Mizzou. Not, but it's not. It, it was Copeland, you know, FCS Sun Belt type games. They were eight and four, and they played. That was all SEC teams in Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, I do think people uh, a tad deceiving. No, I think the problem for for the problem for Dan Mullen is that he's not a good recruiter. Everybody knows he's not a good recruiter, and his thing, and it goes back to Mississippi State, is that he's gonna out scheme you that his core you know he, he did to his credit have kyle you know kyle trask was a, a, a completely discarded you know forgotten about quarterback who he turned into um you know a heisman guy so anyway kirby smart had this quote after the game it was not asked to him you know and the person who asked it wasn't asking him about florida he was asking him about georgia but it was this quote about recruiting guys if you don't recruit there's no coach out there who can out coach recruiting I don't care who you are. The best coach to ever play the game better be a good recruiter because no coaching is going to out-coach players. Um, don't, that kind of sounded like a, a shot at Mel. I don't know if it was or not, but it was kind of saying like, yeah, you're not going to – we're the best recruiting program in the country. We're absolutely loaded with five stars. You're not going to out-coach – you're not going to overcome that with coaching. Yeah, it just seems like the gap there is growing wider. Um, let's let's. You know, so we really haven't talked that much about Georgia just there. Uh, obviously, it was a dominant performance by their defense. I don't think you or I thought in the state Florida's in that they were going to really uh, win this game. How much concern, if at all, do you have that Florida's that Georgia's offense, even with the defense, what they have, especially the front seven talent? Do you think they're good enough to win a national title? Yeah, I do. Uh, I'm not all that worried about it. I know Stetson Bennett didn't play a great game. Uh, I had a couple interceptions, and people are still pining for JT Daniels. I, I wouldn't mess with a good thing. It's like we talked about last week, though. You know, They're going to get into a game, whether it's Alabama or whether it's in the national championship game, where even a defense that good is not going to be able to hold the other team to seven points. And you are going to have to score some points, but... Look at, you know, Zamir White is turning out to be a very good running back. They've got the great freshman tight end. Um, you know, Karis Jackson had a nice touchdown catch yesterday. It's not like they're completely devoid of weapons on offense. They're just never going to be a 40, 50-point type offense, but they really don't need to be with a defense that dominant. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Stu, so we we talked on Dan Mullen for a little bit. There's a guy who I think the AD who is new there at Nebraska, Trev Alberts, seems like he would love to not have to make a coaching change right out of the gate and push out a former star quarterback and native son. But the losses keep coming for Nebraska. This time it was Purdue. It's It was at home. I mean, if you were Trev Alberts, and you know Trev Alberts very well, you mentored him in your time together at CNNSI, um, what would you do? It's not, Scott Frost is making it so that he doesn't have a choice. I mean, it was different when they, you know, they had these Michigan-Michigan State classic yesterday. They took Michigan State to overtime, and the Michigan game went down to the last minute. And there was this feeling then that they're close, they're so close. Uh, and it's just gotten away from him. They're one in five in the Big Ten, and they play Ohio State this week. This is his fourth season. He's yet to have a winning record. He's not going to have a winning record this year. And in fact, three and nine is not out of the realm of possibility. I know I was playing terrible, and that's a game they could possibly win. Um, but they're playing. Wisconsin's playing a lot better. Their last three games are Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Iowa. I think their best case scenario is four and eight. No, you're not going to bring back a coach for his fifth season who's go, who's yet to have a winning record and went 4-8 and eight in his fourth season. I mean, if anything, I guess Trev Albert should be a little bit thankful that he's making this decision so easy for him. Yeah, I didn't think it was going to get to this point. Look, count me in as one of the people who thought Scott Frost was going to knock it out of the park there. I'm not saying I thought he was going to win a national title by now. But there's so many of these games where it's just like, the record of five and eighteen, like, like I feel like you could walk into like your nearest convenience store and say to somebody, "What's Scott Frost's record?" And saying, and they'll be like, "Oh, it's up to five and eighteen now." You know, it's like no. it, it's crazy. He's ten and twenty-two in Big Ten play, and he's on the easier side. I think at the end of the day, you know, we can talk about any number of things, but. He hitched his wagon completely to Adrian Martinez. He never found another quarterback. He I don't think this stuck with. Like we can disagree. I don't think that if they don't have Adrian Martinez, a lot of those games aren't even competitive. But they they he needed to at some point he you know Adrian Martinez had a promising freshman season and it never got better than that because there's nobody around point, him. They have no players around him. Uh, they did well. <laughs> They did have Wondell Robinson, but he transferred. Uh, yeah, I said Mar- you, know, uh, you know Maurice Washington. He had off-field issues. They had to get you know. He- J.D. Spielman transferred. I know he just recently retired. I mean, Adrian Martinez threw four interceptions yesterday. This is he's a senior. He's been st- playing for four. I mean, he started almost every game for four years, and he's just he's just never gotten better. And I don't think you can blame that on. He doesn't have guys around him or, or, or whatnot. He just never got better as a quarterback. And Scott Frost never found a guy he trusted more. Um, went went to McCaffrey for a couple games last year, pulled him. He transfers. At some point, I don't know if he needed a grad transfer to come in or something, 
But I'm sorry. It's I don't think it's the quarterback issue. I could be wrong on this. They just do not have enough players around him. I mean, he's the only thing they got. Well, both things are true, and I'm sure that Adrian Martinez. Unless you're talking about Cam Newton, who are you getting as a grad transfer who's going to come in and carry that team? Carry that team. That's what you're talking about. No, you are. No, I'm not asking him to. They. They were not that far away from beating Michigan or Michigan State or, frankly, Oklahoma, for that matter, if they had a good but not even necessarily elite quarterback. Yeah, good luck finding somebody who's like, I mean, he's their best running back. I mean, he's the guy who's getting them, who's gotten them out of trouble. I mean, I'm not saying he should be an All-American. He's not. But I was just like, there's just not much his around. Car- his career touchdown-interception ratio is 43 to 27. He's also had, I, I, I don't, there's never an easy way to find fumble stats, but he has certainly had plenty of those over the years. Look, they also commit too many penalties. Um, they're a very undisciplined team. They've had God knows how many special teams mistakes, but at the end of the day, like it's the ninth game of Adrian Martinez's senior year as a four-year starter, and he threw four interceptions. So um that I think Frost and Frost and Martinez will go down together. The last um, one shouldn't have been on him, by the way. That was a that was as much a fumble that like went out of the receiver's hands. Are you? Are you uh, Am I his nil agent? No, I'm yeah, not. Are you no, his I'm nil not. agent. <laughs> I just My feel goodness. like it's I know you like him. You did a story on him. I think no, I just feel like he has been. Again, I feel like without him, it would be even worse. Yes, without him, it would be even worse. That's true. The, but the problem is that he never got anybody better i mean if it i think a lot of the way, mistakes did, also happen because when you're basically having to carry the team and your one-man show you're trying to do too much and i feel like that's what happens that's where some of those fumbles end up happening what you said at the very beginning is true trev alberts doesn't want to have to i mean this is this is a this is the guy who checked off every box who seemed like the home run of all home run hires and i think one of the reasons there's that gosh i wish we didn't have to fire him sentiment is if he he can't make it work, who can? It's kind of an indictment in some ways on just the challenges that Nebraska has in in current college football. But how do, and because of that, because of that that patience, if they had just been to one bowl game by now, I don't think this would necessarily feel so desperate. He just has shown absolutely no reason to to feel like he can dig himself out of this at some point. So um, I don't I don't know who who the the magic person is who comes in. Uh, instead, but it sure seems like that job's going to be open in addition to LSU, USC, probably Virginia Tech, um, Texas Tech. Uh, and I don't, uh, we, we don't know last the, week though about maybe Dave Clawson in yeah. Nebraska. That would excite me. Yeah. I mean, look, he's done an amazing job there. He's a good offensive coach. He's clearly got a, a uh, defined system. I, Man, I like, I, you know, like my only, my hesitation is not on whether Dave Clawson would win there, whether he'd want the job. My hesitation comes back to this. Like, and Scott Frost, there's a lot of parallels to me between Scott Frost and Jim Harbaugh. They're obviously both former quarterbacks who had a lot of success at the program they coach in. Jim Harbaugh was a way more proven commodity when he went to Michigan than Scott Frost was. Scott Frost had a great short run at UCF. Uh, but the thing they have in common is you get to like, if Jim Harbaugh wasn't the guy at Michigan, who do you go in? Who do you feel like they're going to hire and get there? Who is going to be a resounding success and could definitely get it done. 
Scott Frost, I mean, that's a, that's another one of the challenges there because I think there's going to be a bunch of people, and I'm not saying this is what you mentioned Dave Clawson, I'm not saying this is what he's going to say, but who are going to look at that going, that is a really tough job. You know, it's like hard to recruit there. There's not a lot of talent around there. Um, so I don't know. I mean, like I still... I think f- the only parallel between Harbaugh and Frost is that they're both former players. Harbaugh... Well, they both know. They're hasn't both... been able to win the big game, oh, his, but he's beaten yeah. almost everybody else. No, I mean... Frost the, isn't beating anybody. No, the parallel meaning is they are the guy who that is the school that they grew up... You know, you have the Harbaugh worshiping of Bo. You have Mm -hmm. the Scott Frost worshiping of Tom Osborne. They know that program better than anybody else who's going to go in there coaching. And they have a connection. That is the point. I'm not saying, you know, like here, I'm going to throw this out. I probably will still be wrong on this with Nebraska. I suspect they are going to beat either, either Iowa or Wisconsin. And maybe both, but probably not both. And, you know, it's funny as I'm watching you on uh, like, uh, like, so we're doing this where you can uh, on a zoom where the video is up. And I was like, as soon as I say probably both, I was waiting to see if you would just kind of like roll your eyes. You didn't do anything. So, um, but I, I think he will save his job. I th- wow. I think somehow. Gosh, he will- why did we, why did we bury that 39 minutes? <laughs> no, into the I, podcast? I, I still feel like at some point, like it just can't. Like, I, it just boggles my mind that they keep losing so many close games. At some point, this thing has to turn. Doesn't it? Maybe not. Here's how. Here's the only way he can save his job. Like, they're not, they're not bad on team. defense. Pol, you know, remember in 2017, um, Ohio State got a huge win over Penn State. It was a higher-ranked Penn State team, certainly, than this one. They might have been undefeated. And then they went to Iowa the next week and got inexplicably blown out. If Nebraska can play that role here next week for the uh, the game in Lincoln, then yeah, of course he'll he'll save his job. And short of that, and look, beating Iowa that's their rival, you know that. Might, but if it if it's beating Iowa to get to four and eight, I think the only the only thing that could help is, you know, we talked about. If, if USC had kept Clay Helton, everybody would cancel their season tickets. Nebraska fans are so loyal that if they brought Frost back, the stadium would still be sold out or almost sold out every week. They love their Huskers. I just think that, but but I don't know that they would be feeling all that hopeful. Hmm. All right. We'll hey, see. here, let me ask you now about another coach in uh, the, the Midwest region of the country, Matt Campbell, who was... Um, you know, at the beginning of the season, the way people are talking about it, it's like he's just going to pick his job. Um, you know, it hasn't worked out this season quite the way Iowa State fans had hoped. They have three losses now, probably not in contention for the Big 12 title. Um, but I don't know that that means he's suddenly a bad coach. I would think he would still have some suitors unless they just, you know, fall apart here down the stretch. And I'm wondering, in your opinion, we know he's not a guy who's always looking for the next job or eager to get out of Ames by any means. But between the diminished stature of the Big 12 and then just this notion that, I mean, he assembled a, you know, what by all accounts was a great, this was about as stacked a team as you could ask for at Iowa State. And they're still, you know, looking at a a eight and four, nine and three kind of ceiling. Is that his sign that like, okay, I've done everything I can do here. I need to go somewhere where I can recruit five stars. Uh, you know, it might be. I mean, 
you know, you can get them to like, is that the ceiling? You know, it's like, I think you, I think the challenge for so much is it's hard to deal with all the absolutes of like, oh, this is the best quarterback you can get. Cause we've seen a lot of time where a lot of these quarterbacks were not, a lot of the quarterbacks who turn out to be the great NFL prospects were not necessarily that coming out of high school, right? You know, whether it's Trey Lance or Josh Allen. You know, it's like, it's a, I don't want to say it's all lightning in a bottle, but you see plenty of these guys who emerge who are something different. But again, it's like, I don't know, you know, what he would look at and say, yeah, that's where I want to coach. I would, I, you know, to me, like Matt Campbell at like in the SEC doesn't seem like necessarily something he would want to jump into. I don't know that. But, you know, it's like if Penn State were to come open, I could see Matt Campbell there. You could obviously people think Luke Fickle may be there too, um, but I don't know. You know, it's uh, you know, are they the team that gets gets Oklahoma? Somebody might this year. Does that kind of change and open? I think it's. I I would think it may be a harder sell for a USC if Matt Campbell's not better than eight and four to make a run at him. I don't know. I'm gonna say so. You already said something crazy. Now I'm gonna say something crazy. It just dawned on me when you said like Luke, maybe Luke Fickle will take the Penn State job uh, if that comes open. If once Cincinnati is in the Big Twelve, wouldn't you rather be the coach at Cincinnati than the coach at Iowa State? Um, yeah, you have better access to talent. Yeah, you know, and that like Antonio Morales and I did this uh, recruiting confidential piece a couple like a week ago. And we talked to a ton of coaches. And one of the coaches, like one of the questions we were asking was like, how has conference realignment changed things? And there was a coach who kind of went off and it was just like, this was not a coach at Cincinnati. And he said, he was like, this thing is built up for Cincinnati to run the Big 12. And I was like, huh, that's a, you know, like now I don't know if it's set up for, for Luke Fickle slash Marcus Freeman, if he comes back, if Fickle were to leave. I don't know if it's like, um, you know, if it, if it changes things, but just to, to see that about like what will the Big Twelve look like, you know, in a couple of years, who knows? I mean, because right now that is a hot brand. He is obviously evaluated really, really well there, um, and maybe he can, you know, can sustain it. I know, you know, we were talking yesterday and around our green room, and I talked to Peterson about this about just the the caliber of athletes that they have now, like who are upperclassmen you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball who are like guys NFL scouts are really high on. And those were not guys who were, you know, four and five star guys. So I would think now, and they got those guys before, you know, they got those guys coming out of, you know, Tommy Tuberville kind of dragging the program back into the ditch a little bit. Yeah, I'm not a NFL draft expert by any means, but would it surprise you if next spring Cincinnati has about five or six guys that go in like the first two to three rounds? Maybe in the top four rounds. No, it wouldn't. Yeah. You know, like you can see they got two edge guys, one if not two cornerbacks, one receiver, and Ritter probably Gardner's going the first supposed round. to be a first. Gardner and Ritter could both go in the first round. Well, I think Maje Sanders. The quarterback thing is all over yeah, the map. Maje Sanders is an edge rusher, I think has a mm-hmm. chance to be a top 40 pick. They have another guy who's similar to Maje Sanders who I think – probably would be a top you know first or second guy probably maybe second round guy and then uh they have a receiver who's really you know who will test off the charts who's a really good player who i'd imagine will go in the first four rounds and that's 
you know, there's another cornerback there who's a pretty good player. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they had seven or eight guys get drafted. Yeah, the crazy thing about Big 12 expansion is that I do think since both Cincinnati and UCF, you know, you got to have the right coach and everything, you know, I think have the ability to go in there and, and be a championship contender in that conference. And oh, by the way, BYU is now, so they beat Virginia in a just crazy, you, you, you know, that game, I hope people were staying up late and watching it. That game was 42-38 at halftime. BYU ends up putting up 66 on the Cavs. They are now 7-2, and two, including 5-1 and one against Power 5 teams, including Bruce. Now, if this says more about BYU or the Pac-12, they are 4-0 against the Pac-12, which includes wins over the top two teams in the standings in the South, Utah and ASU, and the number two team in the standings in the North, Washington State. Yeah, very impressive, very impressive. By the way, trick-or-treating tonight, Bruce, who, who are your kids dressed as? Uh, Iron Man and some princess. Some princess. <laughs> You've never really paid all that close attention to, to princesses, have you? Uh, I've got a, a, a Disney princess, uh, Cinderella, going out there tonight. Um, but she could have easily picked any of the other five or six Disney princesses whose dresses she have has. Uh, send your emails to the Audible Pod at gmail.com. We'll answer those on Wednesday. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.